Good morning. The scripture reading is taken from the book of John. John 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent to man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Good morning, church. Good to see you. So if you have been here at the bridge all year long, this is a big week for us. Because we this year have been going through the story of the Bible together. And this week, finally, we have made it to the New Testament. If you've been here all along, can you even believe it? We've finally made it out of the Old Testament into the New Testament. And if you haven't been here all along, I'm going to start with a brief recap today of where we've been so far, just to help you catch up and because it'll help give some context for where we're going today. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where we started this year. Genesis chapter one, God spoke the universe into being. He formed man and woman in his image with the goal that they would trust him and they would experience the, the blessing of being in a relationship with him, that they would experience true life through that relationship with him that they were created for. But the man and the woman rebelled against God. They decided, we're not going to trust God. We're going to actually believe a lie that he's trying to restrict us, trying to hold us back. And we're going to try and fulfill our whole potential as people by ignoring him. And their decision, the Bible shows us that their decision actually tore the fabric of the universe apart. Because where there was supposed to be blessing, there's now a curse. 
and humanity was created to live naked and unashamed before God and one another with nothing to hide, nothing to, to keep hidden. And instead now there's hiding and there's shame and there's blame shifting. And in place of abundant life, death enters the world. And on every level, physical, relational, emotional, spiritual, humanity's rebellion against God causes chaos and destruction. And this is so fundamental to our understanding the story of the Bible properly because the whole underlying story of the Bible is that the world as it is right now is not the way it's supposed to be. It's broken. And we take it for granted that it's broken because that's the only way we've ever known it. But, but sometimes the brokenness is so severe that we, we see it in a new way. Like when a worldwide pandemic hits and we're all like, that's not the way the world is supposed to be. We can see that something is wrong and something is broken, but it's not just in the big grand scheme of things, events, that we can see the brokenness of the world. It's also in the way that our own hearts interact with the world around us on a day-to-day basis. When we're trying to make a decision, we, we primarily decide based on how that decision impacts us, not on whether it allows us to love the people around us. We're more often willing to sacrifice other people and throw them under the bus than we are to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. We go throughout life each day in the world that God made, completely blissfully unaware of the fact that he's there at all. And all of these are signs that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But because it's not just creation out there that's broken, it's our hearts that are broken too. And so we just go through life oblivious to the brokenness in ourselves and the world around us until those big events draw our attention back to it. But the whole rest of the Bible after humanity rebels against God is the story of God promising to make things right and then coming through on that promise. And so the next few chapters after humanity's rebellion against God, they show things spiraling out of control, going from bad to worse, and it's just discouraging and depressing to read. But it shows us something really important and fundamental that we need to get through our heads if we're gonna understand the story of the Bible. What it shows us is that the problems in the universe are far too big for humanity to fix on our own power. Humanity is far too small, far too broken to be able to fix everything that's wrong with the world. And then in Genesis chapter 12, 12 chapters into the Bible, we've, we've learned this lesson. The world is broken. We can't fix it. And so God steps in to do what we can't do. And he finds this man named Abraham and he makes him a promise. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. And through you and your family, everyone in the entire world is going to be blessed. And Abraham's family, they grow. They eventually settle in the land of Egypt. They become slaves there for 400 years. And then God rescues them. He brings them back to their own land where they can live as his representatives on earth. And this is it, right? This is the chance for Israel to be a blessing to everyone on the earth by showing them how great life is when you're following God and inviting them into that relationship. And they just fail miserably again and again and again. They turn to idols. They fight with one another. They're God's chosen people, but they're broken just like the rest of the world. They need a solution bigger than themselves. We need a solution bigger than that. 
And eventually their rebellion reaches a point where God sends them into exile. We've spent the past several weeks looking at exile and the return from exile. Israel is sent into the land of Babylon for 70 years. Eventually they're able to come back and the first group of settlers to come back, they say, all right, this is it. Our ancestors blew it, but we are gonna get it right this time. We're gonna learn from our mistakes. We're gonna fix what was wrong. We're gonna build our community around God's word. Everything's gonna be good. And again, it just crashes and burns and they have problems of people continuing to disobey God, continuing to disregard his word. And the Old Testament ends with God just going silent for 400 years. The people don't hear God speak to them. It's a time of judgment against the nation where, where God has warned them again and again, if you don't stop turning from me, I'm just gonna stop speaking to you. And finally he does for 400 years until we come to today's passage in John chapter one, where God once again speaks to his people. And so what we're gonna see as we look at today's passage is that Jesus brings a new reality that offers us true life. And we're gonna look at a new reality. We're gonna look at true life, making it your own, and the results of belief. But before we jump in and look at the passage, let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you that you are the good creator, God, but that you are not just the creator, but you, you don't give up on us in our failure and our rebellion, that you're committed to making things right on this earth. God, I pray that that, that truth would just sink into our hearts as, as we look at your word today and that we would have this deep desire to know you, to trust you, to be part of your great rescue plan on this planet. God, help us know you more and trust you more and love you more because of this time looking at your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So first up, the new reality. So like I said, today's passage picks up 400 years after the end of the Old Testament. But John, he's a master storyteller. So he doesn't just pick up the story where it is. No, he goes back to the very beginning. Look at the start of John's gospel. The first words, in the beginning. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, where have you heard these words before? Genesis chapter one, the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything else existed, God was there. John's drawing us back to that, stirring our memories to think about that reality, that God is the one who created the world, who brought life out of nothing. But then John adds this detail that sort of shifts our perspective and forces us to look at this whole thing through a different lens. Because Genesis 1 starts with, in the beginning, God. But John 1 starts with, in the beginning, was the Word. Now, what is the Word? Realize that for any, for any of John's original readers, this, this idea of the Word was a very loaded concept. For his Jewish readers who knew the Old Testament, they would know God's word is what was spoken to bring the universe into existence. God's word brings life to God's people. This is a powerful thing. This is, this is God's means of doing powerful work in the world. We looked at that last week if you were here. So for the Jewish audience, they had this idea of God and his power at work in the world when they see this word, the word. But for the Greek audience, this would have been a very loaded term. The Greek word here is the word logos. It's where we get our word like logic. 
And in the Greek philosophy, logos had a huge, huge background. It was one of those words where every philosopher who talked about it thought it was a really good thing, but everyone kind of disagreed on exactly what it was. You know those types of words? And so they they thought that whoever could live your life in line with the logos of the universe was going to live the right and proper way. But for some people, the logos is something like reason or science. For others, it's something like words or speech. And everyone had this this slightly different, distinct understanding of what this word is. It, it, It had layers of meaning that were carried over in from it. Like, if you know anything about Chinese philosophy, you could imagine that John started, instead of saying in the beginning was the word or the logos, imagine that he said in the beginning was the Tao, which actually someone told me this week that the, the Chinese union version of the Bible actually translates it that way. But it's this, it's this concept from Chinese philosophy where every philosopher who talks about the Tao agrees that the Tao is this wonderful thing that you need to have to live the proper life but then they just fight about what exactly the Tao is. Like even in one of the classic texts on the Tao, which, you know, the Tao is often translated as the way. One of the classic texts is called the Tao Te Ching, and one of the opening lines is the Tao that can be named is not the enduring or unchanging Tao. It's like I'm, I'm fighting and trying to redefine the way that it's been defined by people before me because I know better than they do what this means. And there's disagreement about what it means, but everyone knows that it's a good thing and everyone wants it in their lives, but they just can't quite agree on what it is. And so John takes this super loaded term and drops it right in there at the beginning. And he does something incredible with it because what he does in this opening verses of his gospel is he says this this word or this logos or this Tao it's not first and foremost an idea. It's first and foremost a person. We can know it not just as a series of facts. We can know it through a relationship. And it's not just a person, but this person who is the logos or the word is God and has existed from eternity past as God. And then he does something else that's just mind-blowing because he says the word was with God and the word was God. How does that work? How can you be with God and be God at the same time? Well, that's, that brings us to the Christian idea of the Trinity, which says there's one God who exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, what John is going to show us is that Jesus is the word who is the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And that, that by the Trinity, Jesus is able to be truly God as part of the Trinity from eternity, but also be distinct from God the Father from eternity. It's mind-blowing stuff, right? And we're only in verse one. And so we don't have a ton of time to dig in and look deeper at this. But John, he's, he's reshaping our understanding of where did the world come from? What are the most fundamental realities out there? He's engaging with their background and their culture and redefining things to try and draw everyone in to this deeper understanding of something so incredible and amazing that he's going to show us. And then he continues on and he tells us that nothing in existence came into existence apart from Jesus. Again, bringing us back to Genesis, to that story of creation where God creates the heavens and the earth. 
And if we go back to Genesis, we see God goes through the entire series of creation. And at the end of it, he looks at it all and he says, it's very good. But John introduces a conflict to us that isn't there in Genesis because here Jesus makes everything, but then he's confronted with darkness. We see in verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That something has been introduced to the world now where in the beginning creation finishes, it's very good. We're here, creation comes into existence through Jesus, but there's something in creation that's opposing Jesus, that's fighting against him. And that is that human rebellion and sin that we just talked about, that the fabric of the universe is broken because of our rebellion against God. And this is where the power and the nature of the new reality that Jesus brings are so amazing because John tells us Jesus is true light. And in verse nine, he tells us this true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the light that fights the darkness, but he not only is the light, he enlightens everyone. He brings light to us and gives us light so that we can now live in his light. We can now be messengers and ambassadors of his light to the darkness around us. And when John, he says that he was coming into the world, when John uses the word world, he's not referring to this this geographic planet that's spinning around the sun. He's referring to creation in rebellion against God. And so, so yes, it is a picture of the creator stepping into his creation, which is mind-blowing and amazing, but it's actually something even deeper than that that's going on here. Because Jesus, the creator God, is stepping into occupied enemy territory for the sake of bringing light to our darkness for the sake of bringing us a new reality so that we can now once again live as God's people the way that we were meant to live from the start. We, through our rebellion and sin, have lost sight of the right way to live is what it's saying. We've abandoned the, the word or the logos or the tau. We're like blind people who don't know they're blind. So they're trying to get around in the world, but they, they don't know to take precautions and they just bump into everything and make a mess of everything and knock it over and and make things worse. And Jesus steps in to our hostile world and our hostility to bring light to us so we can see again. The deepest reality of the universe, Jesus, who had existed from the beginning, who made everything, entered into human history so that we can know him and find true life in him. He came to bring us a new reality. He came so that light, not darkness, gets the last word in this world. God himself put on flesh and blood and stepped into the world he made so that you and I can live life as it was meant to be lived all along. He came to rescue us from the brokenness of the world and the brokenness inside ourselves. With the birth of Jesus, something fundamental in the nature of the universe changed because God demonstrated once for all that sin and death will never have the last word in our lives. God demonstrated once and for all that he is completely for humanity and he is completely committed to our rescue. The theologian A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, all that God is had become all that man is except sin. And when he became incarnated, he was irrevocably committed to the human race. There was no going back. He's all in, in this 
rescue plan to save us. Isn't that fantastic news? The birth of Jesus was God's unbreakable promise that he would make all things the way they were originally meant to be again, that sin and death and brokenness would not have the last word. And so that's the new reality that Jesus brings to us. But then in that new reality, he invites us to live true life. In verse four right here, it tells us in him was life and the life was the light of man. He came to bring us life and light and to invite us to experience true life through knowing him. Jesus says later in the book of John, in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. He offers us a new life that totally redefines the good life from the world's perspective. And in this passage, John gives us several pointers about what that good life is like. So the first thing we see is that it is life as God's children. We see this in verses 11 to 13. It says, he came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came so that those who receive him have the right to become children of God. Think about what that means. First, it's a right. It's something that's secure. It can't be taken away. It's not a privilege that can be lost. Second, if we trust in Jesus, we are God's children. We are loved. We have a family and a father. We're not alone. We're not orphans left to fend for ourselves and provide for ourselves, protect ourselves. We're not slaves who need to work to earn our keep. We're children who have a place to belong, who are loved. To see how amazing that is, maybe it would help to contrast that with where the world says our identity comes from. Where does the world say we get our identity? Maybe we get it through hard work and accomplishments. Maybe we get it through romance and finding someone to love us. But if that's where your identity comes from, where does that leave you? If your identity comes from having to work hard to prove that you're someone, you can never rest. You work yourself continually to exhaustion in the fear that if you don't keep accomplishing more and more, people are gonna realize you're a fake. Your identity is never secure if it's built on what you've accomplished. Or, or what about like romance, finding someone to love you? Again, you're insecure because what happens if they leave you? What if they find someone better? What if you mess it up? You can never be really sure that your identity is secure. You'll live in stress, anxiety, fear of what their loss would mean to you and your entire sense of self. You're actually gonna need so desperately to use them to establish your sense of identity that, that you're gonna be prevented from being able to truly love them. And in this deep irony, your excessive dependence on them is gonna strangle the, the relationship it's gonna increase your chance of actually losing them. But in contrast to these things, Jesus offers an identity that's secure. It comes, we're told in verse 13, not from blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It's not something we earn through our effort or our accomplishment, it's a gift. And if you have this gift, there's nothing in your power that you have done to earn it, which is amazing news because it means there's nothing in your power that you can do to lose it. If you are God's child, your identity is secure in a way that no earthly identity can be. 
there's more to this true life, more that it involves. It's also not just the life of being God's children, but also a life of seeing God. Back in the book of Exodus, we looked at it several, several months ago. So even if you were here, you may not remember. There was a story where Moses was speaking to God and Moses said, God, show me your glory. I want to see the full essence of who you are. And God said, no. You cannot see me and live. If, you, if I show you that, you're going to die. So because I love you and don't want you to die, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. But then in verse 14 of today's passage, John tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus took on flesh and became a human being, God offered to humanity the opportunity that wasn't available to even his closest followers in the Old Testament. This opportunity to see him as he truly is. Which is incredible because one of the big teachings of the Bible is that we become like what we look at. We see that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John says that when we see Jesus, it makes us like Jesus. There's a fundamental rule of life that whatever we fixate our eyes and minds and attention on shapes us or reshapes us into its image. And advertisers know this and they use it to take advantage of you all the time. That's why when you walk through CityGate, every shop you walk past has beautiful displays in the window because they want to reshape your picture of the good life to being the life where you own all those things in their shops. And every day as you walk past and you see what's being put in front of you, it reshapes your mind and the way that you think about the world and eventually makes you want their products. And you may think, no, that doesn't work for me. Studies have shown it does. It's also why your iPhone has such bright, vibrant colors because the, the app developers know that if they can keep your attention fixated on this screen, then they can sell your time and your life to advertisers. And so they try to make these things that they're designing as addictive as possible so they can reshape your behavior so that you now have huge patterns of time using your phone so that you can be sold as a commodity to the advertisers. What we look at and fixate our attention on reshapes our priorities. It reshapes who we're becoming. We become like what we look at. It's true in all of life. Staring at the warped and twisted values of the world warps and twists our souls. But staring at Jesus makes us more like Jesus. And because Jesus came to earth, became a human being, took on flesh, we can now look at his life and see him and become more like him. Jesus shows us the glory of God so that in him, we can look and see what God is like and become more like him. And that's the second element of this true life that Jesus offers us. And then the third characteristic of the true life Jesus brings that we see in this passage is that it's a life of grace and truth. We see that again in verse 14. It's the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Grace means giving us forgiveness and a new chance, giving us blessing when we deserve curses and punishment. 
Truth is freedom from lies and misinterpretations of the world. And a quick look at our world just shows us how desperately we need these things. You know, you would think that if anything could make humanity come together, support one another, like really bond as a community of humanity across the board, it would be something like a worldwide pandemic, right? Where we all need to support one another to get through this together. But I think the opposite has happened. And it's because, again, our hearts are so warped and twisted in terms of truth, right? Jesus comes to give us truth. People are all over the spectrum when it comes to COVID. There are some people who think like this is the absolute worst disaster that has ever happened to the human race. There are some people who think this isn't a real disease. The government's just made it up to get more power and control over us. But you know the one thing everyone agrees on, no matter where on the spectrum you are? There are so many lies out there about COVID. We might disagree on what actually qualifies as a lie, but everyone agrees there are so many lies out there. We, we all agree on that. Our world needs truth. And our world needs not only truth, our world needs grace. I was talking with someone from America on the phone this week, and they were saying that when they go to the grocery store, if they wear a mask inside the grocery store, unmasked people will come up and start making sheep sounds towards them, going ba ba, as a way of saying, you are a mindless sheep who's just following what the government and the media are telling you and can't think for yourself. In the same conversation, they said that there was a, a local school board who was having a meeting to decide, should we require kids and teachers to wear masks at school this year? And they brought in a local pediatrician to share with everyone about, you know, what are the health benefits of wearing masks? This pediatrician was up front sharing about the health benefits of wearing masks, and someone in the crowd stood up and threatened to kill the doctor. Now, regardless of whether you think masks are helpful or not, I hope, I hope that we can all agree that mocking strangers you've never met and threatening to kill people just because you disagree with them is not the right way to live life. There's signs, there's something deeply wrong in our world. Our world needs grace. Our world is broken and twisted. It's full of lies and judgment and threats rather than truth and grace. And it's easy to look at the problem out there and see how messed up and twisted it is. But if we're honest, it's not just true out there. It's also true in here. It's not just the world that's twisted and warped and messed up. It's our own hearts that are twisted and warped and messed up. All of us sometimes twist the truth to make it sound better for us. All of us sometimes judge others unfairly when we disagree with them. We, not just they, but we need grace and truth. And Jesus steps on the scene and brings us exactly what we need. He brings us grace and truth, freedom from the world's broken and twisted cycle. In taking on human flesh and coming to earth, Jesus shows us what true life involves. But the question then is, how do we make that life our own? And John tells us the answer in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He says the key is to receive him or believe in his name. Now, what exactly do we need to believe? First, that Jesus is who he says he is. Verses 10 and 11 tell us this great tragedy that he was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. 
Jesus as God is the most fundamental reality in the universe. He's the reason anything else, including you and me, exists. And yet when he came into the world, no one recognized him for who he was. And you may think like, you know, that's not ideal, but like it's not murder. It's not rape. Those things are probably worse, right? But as one theologian puts it, we'll put it up on the screen. It's a tremendous thought that when our Lord wanted to point to the most dangerous trap of all, he didn't mention the wicked things. He said the most dangerous trap is just living and forgetting that God exists. That's, that's the danger. When we do that, that opens the door to everything else. In the book of Romans chapter one, Paul, he traces all of our sin and brokenness as a human race and all of our rebellion straight back to this fact that even though God made the world and he made it in such a way that we can look at it and see him, we just forgot all about him and worshiped and served the things that he made instead. It's the first and most fundamental sin in every human heart. It's the thing that leads us to do anything else wrong, failing to see God for who he is and to trust that he is who he says he is. So the first thing we need to believe is that Jesus is who he says he is, that in Jesus, God, the creator of the universe, truly took on human flesh. But then there's one more thing that we need to believe if we're going to find true life in Jesus. We find it in verses 16 through 17. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, which means it's translated into English. And this phrase, grace upon grace, is a really difficult one to translate. Some top, trans- top scholars think that maybe a better translation than grace upon grace would be grace instead of grace. The idea being God has always been showing his people grace. But in Jesus, he shows us grace in a new and better way that replaces and improves upon the former ways he showed us grace. And we see this in verse 17. The law was given through Moses. The law was a great gift from God to his people. It it told them what God expected of them. It showed them the way to live the best life possible in God's world. But it had this fatal flaw. It could tell you how to live, but it couldn't change your heart. And in place of that grace, God gave us a new grace, the grace and truth that come through Jesus. The grace and truth that are actually powerful enough to transform us from the inside out so we can become the people God calls us to be. Salvation comes not through us working hard through our effort to live up to God's rules. It comes through Jesus rescuing us and forgiving us and showing us grace and giving us a new start even after we've failed. And how can he do that for us? How can he offer us that forgiveness? By dying in our place on the cross. That ultimately is why he came to earth. So he could suffer and die in our place, taking the penalty we deserve so we can have grace instead. Jesus didn't just step down from heaven into occupied enemy territory. He did it so he could rescue the people who made themselves his enemies. And he could rescue them by dying in their place. Jesus comes to bring us this new, true life in trusting him. There's one more question. How will our lives look different if we actually do trust in him? And here at the bridge, we have four core values. You can see them on our signs up here up front. And I want to look at the implications of our lives in light of these four core values. So one thought for each of the core values. First, Christ. If we truly understand and believe this passage, We're going to receive Jesus and believe in his name. We'll trust that he is who he says he is. God, come to live on earth as a human being. 
And it won't be a burden to us to admit that he really is God, but it'll be something that we celebrate and have joy about because he brings us life. In terms of community, Jesus' love for us led him to come, become a human being, live on earth among us, put on flesh. It's referred to as the incarnation. He didn't just tell us good things about grace and truth from a distance. He came and lived real life among real people shaped by grace and truth. If we truly understand and believe that's true, we are going to be people who live incarnationally, who get deeply involved in one another's lives, who live life together, who care for one another, who spend time together, who get to know one another in all our mess so we can be agents of bringing God's grace and truth to one another's lives. Third, calling. If we truly believe that this passage is true, we're going to learn to live in the reality of being God's children. We're going to approach everything we do in life through this understanding that our identity is already secure. We're already loved and accepted by our Father. We have nothing to prove. We have nothing to lose. It's going to set us free to love the people around us and to be truly present in each moment of life because we're not worried about establishing our identity through our own efforts. And then finally, commission. We didn't really touch on these verses, but if you look at verses six and seven, it talks about this man whose name was John, and it says he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. If we believe that this message about Jesus is true, that it gives life, then we, like John, are going to be people who bear witness to the light so that others can believe as well and that others can experience this true life in Jesus. And I realize it's only four things, but that's a lot, right? Like that's, that's something we could probably spend our whole lives working on. I, personally, I look at this and I'm like, man, if that's what a life looks like when you believe this passage, do I really believe this passage? But the Christian life is largely about the trajectory and the journey we're on, not just the destination. It's going to take us our entire lives to become the people God wants us to be. But hopefully, we're closer to this now than we were three years ago. Hopefully, three years from now, we'll be closer to this than we are today. Hopefully, by the grace of God. And remember, it's not about our power. We don't become super Christians or Christians at all through the will of the flesh. We grow as we look to Jesus, as we understand and believe more each day the grace and truth that he gives to us. And we let him lead us on this path to becoming the new creation that he calls us to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this amazing, incredible, wonderful truth that you became flesh and lived among us you, the creator of the universe who have existed from eternity past, entered into the story of the world to rescue it, to rescue us. God, I confess in my life, I so often don't live out the implications of that in my life. Just like the people in Jesus' day, I, I don't recognize you for who you are. God, my heart is broken and it needs, it needs your grace, it needs your truth. So God, I pray that you would show all of us your grace and truth today. Let us be shaped by it. Let us be people who are living in this new reality because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.